0: Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in Nasty, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting and also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents, you can just generally help each other out and it's a really important thing for us to do especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription, you heard that right, 12 months free, if you follow the link in the description box. For casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello you lovely lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. How are you all doing? I hope that you're okay. It has certainly been a week, that is for sure. Um, I hope that you are doing all the self-care that you need Um, making sure to be kind to yourself, reaching out if you need to reach out and um, just remembering that, that we are all in this together and the fight continues and if you need persistent and nasty we are here for you always. Today's episode is with the incredible Claire Mitchell QC and writer Zoe Vendatozzi. Claire and Zoe started the Witches of Scotland campaign in 2020. It is looking for a pardon, a public apology, and a memorial to all of those who were accused, tried, and executed of witchcraft in Scotland. Mainly women, 85% of those that were um, executed were women. Um, So this is a really uh, important and touching and tricky episode because we do discuss what happened to these people um, when they were uh, executed um, and while they were being questioned. So just a little warning for everybody. If that's not where you're at this week, completely understandable. Um, We do also talk about reclaiming the word witch um, and the power that that gives us um, and we talk about the fact that that word's still being used in a derogatory way and particularly towards women. Examples of it are about the First Minister of Scotland and, well, as this week has showed, Meghan Markle. So all of these things are still very much prevalent in our society and it's time for us to really look at that. Ah, so saying all of that... Um, Remember you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at persistent nasty, Instagram at persistent and nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us a wee email to persistent and nasty at gmail.com. And please remember to like, comment, review, subscribe to the podcast. It really is hugely helpful to us and to get our amazing episodes from amazing human beings out to as many people as we can and um, as always to those of you who are continuing to support us we are beyond grateful um, there is a link uh, in the episode description of how you can help us out chuck is the price of a wee cup of coffee only if you can manage it Remember to take care this week. We are coming up to a year anniversary of um, the UK going into lockdown. So, you know, we're probably all starting to feel a little bit. Um, So I suggest today something warm to drink. Tea, coffee flavoured tea, Uh, hot Ribena. If you're from Scotland, that's always... I don't know if everybody did that, but I certainly did. Um, nice wee boost. Um, and it's lovely. And uh, or you know, a liqueur coffee, or it's maybe not the right time of year, but why the hell not? Some mulled wine. Have whatever you want. As always, lovely people, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Claire hi, <laughs> hi. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. And Zoe Ventatotsi. Hello, hello. Did Thanks I for say that. your second name right? I was like,
1: you did, you did, and that's rare because almost everybody says tozzi So I'm really, I love you because you got it right. Thanks. What <laughs> a try, start. Try what a start. What a start.
0: Um, we have the amazing co-hosts. Of witches of scotland podcast together i'm
1: fascinated to know what brought you together we were at a friend's um party we we've got good friends in common who were getting married and they had like a wee a pre-wedding party um at this house that they'd rented that's right clairs am i remembering that yeah. correctly yeah 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 and i wasn't even drunk at the party i don't know why i don't remember because i was driving that <laughs> night but we we met at the party and just got talking and Claire had said something I think about true crime podcasts maybe is that your memory Claire?
2: Yes true crime podcast <laughs> yeah. and I I zeroed in like a like a laser on Zoe I was like no, come you and I let's talk some true crime
1: yeah <laughs> so it turned out that like like many women um it was a peculiarly gendered thing we both really like um true crime podcasts so we started talking about that and then Claire said to me that she had this project in mind that was the pod a podcast and so Claire you might want to take over that part then what happened next
2: yes it's a wee bit difficult tricky meeting someone for the first time and saying yeah I like true crime podcast now let me talk to you about witches it's a kind (laughs) of strange um for quite a while I had um had an idea that I wanted to try and um get a pardon for the people who were convicted of witchcraft and um, poor Zoe has now heard this story a hundred times so if you just want to doze off for a wee bit Zoe while I tell this there's no need to remain looking as if you're interested. Um, essentially what happened was that um, a few things came together for me at the same time. I um, work as my day job as a criminal lawyer in the of area of appeals so I'm always thinking about whether something or not is a miscarriage of justice and I suppose if you're an accountant you go through the world assessing things by facts and figures uh, and spreadsheets, if you're a lawyer you go through the the world assessing things by way of miscarriage of justice and um, I had always known the history of um Scotland uh, um, or Scottish witch trials since since I was an adult and I kind of learnt about them myself and I was always kind of am- amazed by them but more in a, a jurisprudential legal way rather than thinking about the people themselves and um, I read a book um, I was researching our, one of our former Lord Advocates called the Bloody Mackenzie. And uh, he's called the Bloody Mackenzie because of the way he dealt with the Covenanters. He locked them up in Greyfriars Kirk and they all starved. Um, But I was reading about him and I found out that, in fact, although he was called the Bloody Mackenzie in relation to witchcraft trials, he didn't think that, inverted commas, all of them were witches. And he did quite a lot of going around the country trying to stop these trials going ahead. And I read a wee bit about him listening in on someone being um, tortured to try and get them to confess that they were a witch. And the poor woman in a state of utter confusion said to her to torturers, can you be a witch and not know it? And it just really upset me when I read it that this poor woman was so confounded, was so confused. We're looking at people in authority that were telling her that she was a witch. And it affected me much more than hearing the words, lots of witches were strangled and burned. You know, cause you just hear that and it's just a thing that passes over your head. But when you actually heard that and saw it recorded, it really affected me. So scroll forward to a while later, I'd read a brilliant book by a woman called Sarah Sheridan. Um, and she wrote a book called Where Are the Women? Where she had reimagined Scotland. She's a brilliant woman to get on to talk to actually. Um, She reimagines Scotland as a place where uh, all the women have been recognised, all the street names are about women, all the statues are about women. She um, reimagines areas, so you can look it up for example, you look up Dundee and all the streets are changed with the names of the places and it says down by the waterfront um, you'll find the museum on misogyny and she just invents museums of misogyny about the place and stuff like that. So it's a brilliant book But I had all these ideas, miscarriages of justice, what happened to the women that were witches, and I was walking around Princess Street Gardens one day and thinking about Sarah's book, going, where are the women? There are literally no pictures of women. There are no statues to women. Their names aren't recorded. There's nothing here if you just... We're asking someone who exists there's nothing here in a public place to show that, that women existed and um, I got to the top of Princess Street Gardens and um, I found a fully sized statue of a bear along with his own war memorial saying what a great bear he was during the war and I was like I've just had it I've just had it there is a statue to a bear here and you know as we have said many times before he's a very great bear we're not taking that away from him <laughs> but there were just there was no women and I thought, I looked over from where I was standing with Wojciech the Bear um, and I looked over at the Castle Esplanade and I thought, not only aren't we recording the brilliant things women do, we're not recording all the, the great things that they've invented, the, the writers, um, uh, architects. Well, we're not recording anything about them, but we're also not recording when really horrifically bad things happened to people. And, and I looked over and I thought, I know that th- at least 300 women were killed in that spot over there. And what we have is a wee plaque up on the wall that says um, uh, 300 people, uh, 300 women were killed here as witches. Some of them used their powers for good and some for evil. So it's not even a memorial. It's just a sort of, oh, here's a thing that happened to, to witches. This is where we burnt them. And... Um, I just everything just came together at the one time literally I thought right that's it I want a pardon for these women I want an apology for all the women who I see women we know that of the the numbers eh, 85% of women were called witches 15% men so I'm just using the word women but acknowledging the fact um, that men were called witches as well the men were witches too Um, but I, I stormed home and I thought right I want a pardon I want an apology um for to acknowledge what happened to all these people were wrong, including the ones that weren't convicted, because many some died when they were being tortured. Um for whatever reason their life was was then utterly ruined. And I want a national monument. I want a big monument that people can see what happened. So going from that conversation about all those things I wanted to meeting Zoe to saying, oh true crime, oh now come. Now, t- let's talk, let's talk witches, but Zoe, I, I told her about it and she was totally up for it from the start, weren't you Zoe? Yeah,
1: completely. Um, I had wanted to do a podcast myself anyway because I listened to them and I'm a writer and I do, and when we're not having a pandemic, I do interviewing of people on stage so different writers and and different events that are along those kind of lines so I really like talking to people um and I really like podcasts so I definitely wanted to do one anyway and had a kind of an idea but hadn't hadn't progressed with it and so Claire and I met at the right time where there was a really good kind of meaty project to get our teeth into um that's been brilliant and what's really cool about it is that neither of us know what we're doing so I really like that and we've just kind of sort of made it up as we go along we're really fortunate because Claire's brother David um is a sound engineer and he's he's done the sound engineering on the podcast which you can tell if you listen to the first couple of episodes the first one was recorded in my basement with the phone propped up on the washing machine and then when David heard it I think think David probably kind of went I don't want my family name to be ruined by this rubbish and then offered to to do the sound engineering so he's taken over so now it sounds more much more professional um, but I, it's good it's, it's nice because we've been able to talk to loads of dead interesting guests and really as a kind of a nosy and curious person that's what I'm looking for is just to find out interesting stuff.
0: Yeah it's um, the whole subject is fascinating like obviously because it's what you say though Claire like you kind of we've all known the stories of yeah this is what happened to them but just you describing about that woman saying can you be a witch and not know it like yeah, she's face <laughs> was just like sad. It was like her
3: a... so upset.
0: Yeah.
3: It's, so, yeah, it's just absolutely awful. It, I, yeah, I'm so sad. It
1: is really sad. It's really sad. And I think one of the things that's sad about it is that we growing up in Scotland we weren't taught about it we didn't know anything about it so we've got this kind of vague idea unless somebody has just happened to have had a teacher at some point that was really into it for the most part we, we didn't really get taught about it so we had this vague idea that there were witch hunts in Scotland but really I didn't really know anything beyond that so when we started the podcast that even even the figures I had no concept of how many people had been accused and how many people had been executed And I had a little bit of an idea about their spread around Scotland, but that was very recent too, because of the work that had been done at Edinburgh University with the database and the interactive map, which are fantastic tools. Um, And then I was kind of thinking, oh, there there were people like round about here. Now I'm from Fife, I live in Fife. There was loads of stuff with witches in Fife, like quite a hotbed. So to not know that about your own area, and Fife's really boring. So I don't understand how, as sorry to any five people that would disagree with that. I don't understand why my teachers at school didn't kind of go, hey, you think Fife's boring? We're really, really good at accusing and killing women. So here's some stories about, it. We, we were never taught about it at all. Like I knew about the industrial revolution and I knew about trench life. And then I, I did history in sixth year, I did advanced tire and um, well, it was sixth year studies in the olden days. But I did, I picked the American civil war which was totally fascinating. So I knew more about that than I knew about my own, my own region. So it's been really cool from that point of view of learning the stuff from the, the different experts. But one thing that Claire and I've talked about a lot recently is that what we do know, or we think we know, isn't actually necessarily true. And I'm, I'm a bit of a gonk for the truth. Like, I think it's really important that even if the truth is sort of inconvenient in some way, that we really need to know what is actually the truth. And one of the academics that we had on, Julian Goodair, who's who's seen as being like one of the absolute leading academics in this field. He's really interesting. He did three episodes thus right at the beginning. And um, so if you've not heard that, it's definitely worth going back and having listened to it because he seems to know pretty much everything. And said that one thing that happens is people feel really strongly, women particularly feel very strongly about the, about the witch trials as a kind of a symbol of women's oppression generally, which it is. And what he finds is that people say to him, this is what I know about witchcraft, but actually some of the time it's not factually correct, you know, like, for example, before we started doing the podcast, I thought that women were dunked in water, but that didn't happen in Scotland, and that people think still that women were burned when they were alive, burnt at the stake, but that didn't happen really either. What happened was they were they were strangled or they were grotted and then their, their remains were burnt. So just things like that are, I mean, I'm really aware of the fact that's really gruesome to find that really interesting, but it is really interesting. I think it just says so much about us as people and about as Scots. I think that's really interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's knowing the truth of these women as well. I think it's really important to, to honour the fact of that and to, like, to have that kind of, Need to know exactly, like yeah, it is gruesome, but like that is what happened, and to know that honors their horrible, horrible death.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah. I to- I totally agree that that. I mean, we we Zoe and I have kind of talked about the duality of it being fascinating, and interesting, a bit like true crime. You know, people are fascinated by true crime, but it's terror, it's terrible, mm-hmm. and and there's that kind of duality and um we've talked about how because Zoe as a writer um, has said well these the stories about women turning themselves into animals, uh, turning themselves into birds, turning themselves into seals and going out to sea, women changing the weather, those are all amazing stories and they are stories from that time and and they're valid in the sense that they're worthwhile to know about but as long as we separate those stories from the actual facts I mean even the stories of the confessions I put the word confessions in inverted commas even the stories about the confessions that women had their confessions were crazy they were delirious they were saying all sorts of stuff and yes is it is interesting yeah but is it true no I mean like we we don't we're not witches
1: and I think sometimes people think that we are witches but what we would say is that the 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 women that were accused and the men that were accused they weren't witches either and that's why you know often it's it's put in kind of italics or or, sorry in, in speech marks because they weren't they weren't witches and I think some people like to sort of impose this idea that they were like wise women herbalists that um that were, that had fallen out with the men of the area and that's why it happened. And they were strong and intelligent and independent women. They might have been any of those things. But the vast, vast majority of people that were accused for being witches, and the you know the two thousand five hundred that were executed, were just people. They were just ordinary people, and somebody was pissed off with them for some reason, or they had land that somebody wanted to get a hold of, or they you know they got blamed for something that went wrong in the community, or they were a bit weird looking, or you know do you know what I mean? Like there was a a panoply of reasons of why you could be accused for being a witch. So I think we've got this modern myth of this. You know, this we're, we're imposing this idea of like modern feisty womanhood onto the the people that were accused of being witches, and it isn't really accurate. And I just we're, we've got an upcoming episode about some sort of myth busting about um, the witches and the witch trials. That I think is going to be super interesting. But there's enough material to work with. In fact, if anything, actually the truth is worse because you literally didn't need to have done or been anything. Do you know what I mean? Just anybody, and. It was just somebody. All somebody had to do was just say you're a witch or she's a witch. There didn't need to be any evidence, you know. There was no like here is here is what they did, and then what they did to get the evidence was you know torture people. So at the torture, most for the most part seems to be that they were kept awake. And, you know, sleep deprivation, as we know, can make you do terrible things. So for somebody to be kept awake for that period of time, you know, you would eventually probably just about say anything. And that's when some people then would say, oh, my friend, this person and that person and the other person in the village, they're all witches too. And the stories become more elaborate because they obviously just want it to stop. They just want it all to finish, and they know what they're looking for is a confession with other people's names. Often, so you know, it's a very modern story in some ways. From that perspective, Um, again, to go back to true crime, a lot of true crime, you look at things where there's dodgy confessions, right? And you look at things where the police practices may have been a bit sketchy. It's very similar here. You know, they're they're really really unfair um, and very biased setups. Where of course. They, they don't even have lawyers, most of these people. There's nobody speaking for them. You know, Claire, what there's a case that we did recently, and it was like, how many men against one woman?
2: 23 investigators um, to get one woman to confess. So what would happen is that the women would be held in terrible conditions in custody, would be kept awake, and then would be constantly asked questions. And the questions that would be asked, are you in cahoots with the devil? Have you had sex with the devil? Where did you have sex with the devil? What was he wearing? What was he drinking? Was there music? Were there other people there? And then when women confessed to being witches, confession to being a witch wasn't enough because you couldn't be a witch by yourself. You needed to have other folk involved. So if you say, well, I'm a witch and I'll confess to being a witch, that wouldn't stop the torture necessarily because they'd want to know who you were a witch with. Now, if you keep somebody awake for days and end, And just talk to them about having sex with the devil and the music and the witchcraft and the spells and that's what they will be their mind will have completely gone and that's what happened so people started gibbering that their friend was there and this other one was there and that so throughout this entire time you had this we know one thing that I've been thinking about more as we've gone through this is we know that four thousand people were accused and that's a very conservative estimate We know that 2,500 were executed, and that's a conservative estimate. And as Zoe said, most of them were strangled and then burned. Some of them, very, very small amounts, were were just burned. But in fact, in Scotland at that time, there was only one million people in the country as a maximum. So that was a, a huge proportion of people speaking about when we're speaking about one million that was a huge proportion and Julian Goodyear said to us that um, that there would probably have been for every person who was killed as a witch there would need to be an infrastructure of a hundred people from the the judges to the jailers to the people that built the pyres um to the interviewers know all these different people there would need to be an infrastructure of 100 people and he said you would either know somebody that had been killed as a witch or know of someone that had been killed as a witch like it would be that prevalent in the whole of society and that happened to the women of Scotland between the 16th and 18th century for a period of 200 years folk lived with the real possibility of being called a witch hoisted off and strangled and burned and that has got to have that had. What I'm trying to say is, I suppose, that had an effect beyond the 4,000 people. It had an effect on every single person, every single woman. And as Zoe said, you didn't need anything to be called a witch. If you if you had been feisty, if you, you, then would you be, be sticking your head above the parapet? Absolutely. If we are using herbs, absolutely. But did you need to be doing any of those things? No. You could just be sitting in your house and one of your good pals is being tortured and after a few days, they start talking rubbish and see you were involved as well. And and I'm sorry, I'm just looking at Misha. And I think we should maybe just stop now because...
3: <laughs> this is <laughs> like, my face looks very sad because I'm very sad. But at the same time, like, I do you know what it is? It's because I've definitely like kept my head in the sand with all of this. Like... Obviously, like you know about the witch trials, and you like it's exactly the same, like you never learn anything about it but to actually hear the facts laid out. I'm just like, I'm, my mind is blown. This was 300 years ago, and it was going on so 500 years ago to two to 300 years ago. Like that timeline is horrendous. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so much more tangibly close than anybody realizes. And history is so quickly forgotten. And like, we talk about recent history and like how we forget about that. But like the fact that, oh my God, yeah. So-
1: I mean, you're That's on the. think it's so important. That's why we think it's so important that we don't we don't just leave it because the very small amount of criticism that we've had from people and it's been on Twitter really has been um oh yeah or it's been underneath articles that have been shared on Twitter has been from people and it has to be said it's mostly men that make these comments. Well, it's past. It was hundreds of years ago. Let it go, God's sake! You're such a you're such a snowflake. You know, you're just looking for woke to this point. You know, all this kind of rubbish. And they're the same people I'm I'm seeing that also think that we should just leave leave all the statues up. Don't talk about Scotland's past to do with slavery. Don't look at Scotland's part in empire building across the world. Don't look at what you know. Don't look at anything that Scotland's done that's wrong because it's in the past. You know, and I think that's really, it's really bound up with a lot of what Scotland's identity is now, and I think that's it's UK wide, it's not just Scotland, but I think that this, it shows a real lack of engagement with who, are, who we were in the past. Now, obviously, we're not looking for anybody currently just now to say, oh, yes, it's my fault. That's why I apologize. That's not what the purpose of an apology and a pardon is. Really, what the purpose of that is, is for the the current government to say, that's not who we are now, right? We see that that happened in the past and it was wrong. And we, we need to say that it was wrong publicly and that that was terrible for those people and for the generations of all those people that went after them. You know, there's a mark that's there. So we need to make sure that we say, right, this was wrong and it won't happen again. Because like, make make no mistake about it, there are still issues with witchcraft accusations around the world. We, we were in touch with an activist yesterday, Claire was talking to an activist who, I don't think we can say too much about just now, who we're hoping to get on, but he was talking about, uh, he's, he's very involved in issues of witchcraft accusations in his country. And I think it's something that is still used in some places to take people's power away from them and basically to banish them, you know? And it's it's a horrible and frightening thing. And I think that Scotland absolutely should be saying that's wrong and it's wrong for it to happen now. And we're a country that takes a stand against that and recognises it.
0: Yeah, I think that even though it's like, you know, started 500 years ago, there's the implications of that are still in our society today. So, you know, the, the, the apology of it, we all know that you got called a witch when you were a kid. If you were being ho- like a girl and you're being horrible, or you, you weren't being horrible. You were just saying something or not. You're just a witch. And it was yeah. a way to silence you. So just because we don't have trials anymore, that language is still being used. So why would we not want... But it's then, it's as you say, Zoe, it's that thing of a lot of people don't want to admit mm-hmm. their history and, ha- and actually we're not saying it's your history, it's not you, but it is our generational history and we have to be, to move forward as a society, we've got to take some sort of responsibility,
1: surely. I mean, Elaine, we, Claire was was burning her fingers off the other day, sending out tweets to everybody in the entire world to attend the event that we did on Sunday. And one of the tweets she sent out was to the I was
0: working, I was raging,
1: I was well, working, I was like, Ah! it's it's available you can still listen you can listen get to it you get on youtube it. my, brother, yes, on my YouTube.
2: brother recorded it yeah
1: but um but one of the one of the tweets that claire sent out was to the first minister and she she tweeted back saying i can't attend but you should go along to it here are the details and there was like 200 odd responses the last time i looked which was the day before yesterday and quite a lot of those responses were you know um you know you're a witch or you would do here's a great addition for your coven. Somebody made a comment about um, Ruth, what's her chops from the Conservatives, James saying Smith. that if she was, yeah, thank you, if she was going to be there, um, they, they hoped that she was going to be tarred and feathered, that they'd come along to watch that, you know, and that was totally random. There was no mention of Ruth Davidson. So it's just somebody just randomly just going, here's another woman who's a politician, and we're going to link her to the idea of witches and we'll get rid of her. You know, like it's completely bonkers that some people think that they can just write stuff like that and we routinely do well i routinely do searches on twitter with the word witch to see if there's anything interesting that's come up that we can link with the podcast and uh, and there's always in in the top few mentions of the word "witch," it's about nicola sturgeon like she's routinely called a witch and it's just a really really easy way for people to just go back in your box right you're just yeah. you're a figure of fun but you're also a bit evil and I'm going to use um, an image from The Wizard of Oz, but I'm also going to remind you that women were strangled and burned. You know, it's it's really horrific, but it's just totally normalised. So I think that's something that we feel really strongly about that we want to challenge as well as the language around it. Well, even just the last
0: few weeks with Nicola it Sturgeon, it's you could the phrase witch hunt could easily be used in what's been going on with her in the press and everybody going after her and resign, yet the prime minister then breaks the law and there's silence
1: yeah
0: that, the uh, I'm, like, still, I'm still waiting on that statement yeah Douglas Ross
2: yeah yeah dick anyway <laughs> we um we actually looked back at this and the American we looked at the American politicians as well didn't we and we looked at Hillary Clinton and the last um when she stood she would have been called a witch all the time, and all in time. fact, two brilliant women met and talked about about it, and they talked about the rise of the word witch. Um, it, they were Ruth Bader Ginsburg met um, Margaret Atwood, and Margaret Atwood wrote. Um, the Handmaid's Tale based on the history of women in Massachusetts because as she said she was always amazed when people thought that this was some dystopian future she was talking about because she was talking about the past in the Handmaid's Tale it wasn't some sci-fi thing it was in the past and um, they had a conversation around the use of the word witch and the rise of the use of the word witch again and um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, no, more women are now in positions of power. They're now, more women are now senior and they won't allow the use of the word witch. And they won't allow women to be in that situation where they were in again, because women are now more getting into positions of power. And Margaret Atwood was like, no, I'm not so sure about this. You know, history repeats itself. I think it's, it's a worrying time when the idea of a woman is a witch. Um, is, is something which is so mainstream and something which is so easy to see and, and, and Zoe's absolutely right it's tied up with um, I call you a witch but we know that witches don't really exist so it's a bit of a figure of fun The underlying it is the actual story of women that were that were killed thousands of women that were killed so there's a real underlying darkness to that word which I think when it's being used in common parlance most people don't give it Recognizance of they don't they don't think about it you know oh she's a witch you, you you don't think of that dark background but the more of course you become involved in the history of it and hear about the history of it the more you see that's inappropriate um, somebody got in contact with me um, just giving an example of it someone got in contact with me because they had um, a uh, someone had put up a stone in memory of people that were killed as witches. And this is somewhere down south. I wish I could find the text message or the, you know, because I'm on Twitter. We're on Twitter. We're on we're on everything. So it'll be like lost in the the, the mist of time. But somebody contacted us to see that down south, and um, where they were, um, they had put up um, signposts to this witch's stone, and people were like, "Oh, great! You know, th- they'll be able to see where where people were killed." But they advertised the the signposts with the witches with the pointy hats and the big noses. And you're like, what, you're pointing somebody to a place where women were killed. Why isn't that something that we have? Why isn't that something wrong about doing that with a cartoon witch? And, and there was a great phrase that I said recently, which says the greatest trick that was done is convincing people that the witches were the ones that were in the wrong. The witches were the bad ones. Just women. Just yeah. women. That's our hashtag, isn't it, Zoe? Women, yeah. women, not witches.
1: But I think something that really needs to be thought about as well, because I can see echoes of it now, and we're touching on that when you're, you're saying there about being a witch hunt at times against um, Nicola Sturgeon, is that they, they're not, they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily people that are in power that were accusing other women of being witches. It was often other women just in the community. Who and I, I, think you know. I talked to a friend about this at the weekend. I was saying, you know, we've got to remember that it was women that would do accusations and, and that sort of thing. And she went, yeah, but we've got to remember that that's a function of patriarchy. Is that that's the that's the system that we've been raised in? You know that and there's been there obviously for for many many hundreds of years that it's male dominant power and that women sort of dob other women in either because they've got their you know like I was thinking about the Donald Trump administration that there were women there. That we're going against women's rights, you know, and we're very actively trying to shut down women's rights, and that's you know partly because they've got their own power from that, but it's also because they're fitting into this patriarchal structure that they're kind of hoodwinked into thinking that they've got their own agenda, but I think that that's that's kind of what happened as well with the witches. I mean, one of the stories that we looked at, uh, a woman was accused of witchcraft by another woman in the community in the wee village, and she'd the woman that was the accuser had been out like at, at sort of basically partying the day before around the village, had gotten really, really drunk and then had woken up the next morning, presumably feeling awful and said that this other woman had bewitched her. You know, no, it wasn't a hangover. It's not because I drank loads of piss yesterday. It's because actually that one over there, she's bewitched me. And and she, there was the thought that she owed the, the women that she accused money as well. So once that person's then taken out the picture, you know, it's somebody to blame and also somebody to get something from or to avoid giving them something. So I think that's something that's really interesting as well, sort of psychologically, about how those things work and about how groups accuse other people and other other people. So... Yeah, that's another we're, area we're thinking about.
2: We're awfully cheery, aren't we, Zoe?
1: I know what we like.
2: <laughs> well, it, it's- I I
0: missed all of that because my internet went crazy, and I'm just like, it better not have not it's gone like to great- everything that Zoe just said. What I was going to add to that was it's
3: pitting people against it's pitting vulnerable people against like other vulnerable people. And it's like, it's exactly what our government do. It's like, they sit up there, like in their expensive mansions, like paying their friends, like lots of millions. And they say to like everyone down here, they're like, oh, they're stealing your jobs. Listen, there's enough jobs. If you actually like properly paid people in like a, a universal basic income, mm-hmm. maybe, it maybe there would be enough work for everybody. Like yep. nobody's stealing anything. We don't need to fight amongst ourselves. There's enough space. It's literally just systems of oppression and vulnerability
2: and that's all i've got to say on that <laughs> <laughs> we're not disagreeing with you it's just silence because we're, we're like we're, yeah we're doing deep nods we're all yeah. nodding deeply, which is not creating a podcast so we do <laughs> probably not, probably
3: not. Saying zoe about um, about how there are women who would, would speak out for other women. I was actually, I was on on a different podcast yesterday as well. And we were talking about the exact same thing of like how there will always be someone um, who is being oppressed, but who still sides with the oppressor. And that is such a fascinating, like very devastatingly sad, but like fascinating facet of like psychology that people will still opt for, like, going to, like, the position of power because it feels a safer option than,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: than standing with... One, one thing about the witchcraft trials was actually, I mean, you're absolutely right, for the very most part it was the ordinary folk in the street that were involved, but one interesting thing about it was that even women in, in high places weren't immune from being called witches and were put through the process a a lot of them of course were able to afford lawyers which might have made a difference to the outcome it might helped a bit because the the folk in the street that couldn't afford lawyers they literally weren't even allowed to be part of their own trials because women didn't have a right to give evidence in their own case because they weren't competent because they weren't weren't good enough um, so that the underlying, so, so, but it did, it did also sometimes, not as much, but sometimes happened to people in high, women in high places, because they had either money or land that other folk wanted off them, but the, uh, the underlying, the underlying reason that women were called witches, and, and, and we asked this about to our experts, we said why, why was it women why, why isn't it 50-50 men? If you can be communing with the devil, what is the reason that it has to be a woman and not a man? And he said, it's because women were seen as people who were less uh, emotionally, intellectually, physically, all of those things, less than men. And therefore, the devil will always go for the easy target. So he would, the devil would be chatting up to the women because obviously they'd be much, much more easy to get because men were you know, they were, they were robust and independent and would be able to fight off the devil. And John Knox famously said, um, women are the port and the gate of the devil. And he was the man that was alleged to have written the Witchcraft Act. And John so
0: Knox, lover of females. Yeah. A man and with they- a
2: statue himself. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think he's got a, in fact Sarah told us he had a statue in Glasgow and in Edinburgh I've never seen the the Glasgow one but I've often gone past glowering at the one in Edinburgh yeah but yeah. something that we
1: have to remember though is that they they really did genuinely believe in the in the reality of the devil too oh, yeah. it's not it's not just as straightforward as somebody stepped out of line and this was a convenient story that had been sort of fabricated they did genuinely a lot of them did genuinely believe in the devil and some of the some of the stuff's like really pretty illuminating about what the the men that were making sort of the court cases and things that what their sexual appetites might be because a lot of it was was pretty kind of like you know the the devil was there in a red suit playing a flute and then a wild orgy occurred you know there was there was <laughs> drinking and eating and then a wild orgy occurred you know oh, yeah. you know what i mean it's just it sounds like really bad really? Porn. yeah yeah, yeah. It's Like really you just want to be having sex with women in the woods like you know we should be honest about this and we'd all be a lot happier
2: yeah you wish pal yes <laughs> <laughs> it didn't didn't our expert when we spoke, spoke to um Julian didn't he say when we were asking them what how were men involved then and if they basically said they were holding the coats you know like yeah. they, would, they would be at these orgies allegedly but of course that the, at the time um there would be no question the devil would only be having sex with women obviously that like would be, be the it's rationale. early it's like
1: an early iteration of dogging there's the people that are standing around the car that's that was the men.
2: I <laughs> never thought about that. We that on this
1: podcast. I don't, I don't feel I like could say that on many podcasts. I hope that's okay to me. That You can cut that out if that's not appropriate. Oh, no,
0: you it's- are absolutely fine. I mean, usually somebody's <laughs> dropped a C bomb by now. So obviously, <laughs> we're talking about dogging. We're totally. We're totally
1: <laughs> I mean, I've not seen dogging. I watched a documentary about it. It's oh, entirely um. <laughs> based on a Channel 5 documentary <laughs> I watched some years ago.
3: <laughs> my research was based solely on a documentary please yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. very much
3: so
0: <laughs> Louise just put something in the chat what are you th- oh
4: no I just didn't know when to jump in because I'm conscious I arrived late and That's I do right. already discussed and what I have Uh, covered already and you know I'm just sort of sitting here kind of simmering away with excitement because this is like two years worth of my life and research that's gone into a lot of this stuff and I'm just very excited to talk about it but I didn't want to like launch in if you've
1: already covered a lot of it
4: which
1: you probably. (laughs) Louise you'll probably know a lot more than we do I mean that's one of the things that we say in the podcast is that we don't really know very much and we get experts on to tell us what they know and then we sit and go oh really that's awful that's basically what we do. <laughs> don't,
2: give <all> our, <laughs> don't give all our tips and tricks a ways away, our podcast techniques. Oh, well, very excited to have you on this podcast. It's um,
4: uh, yeah, I'm I'm particularly excited about this episode, so that's why I'm so gutted I was a wee bit late. So, do I do apologize for that? Um, yeah, silly. yeah no, I've just been doing research into um, the history of witchcraft, but not necessarily just like you know. The historical timeline of it but the, the political history of it and how it's a very much a weaponized word and the way that the, that word is was used and is it's still used in the public discourse today which we've already touched on in terms of how hillary clinton and, and nicholas sturgeon have been referred to and how it's so you know with regular monotonous like monotonous regularity across western europe you see this stuff going cycles again and again to denigrate women and, it, and it's Weaponized, witch is a weaponized word in the same way slut is or bitch, Um, and it's it's to denigrate and bring low and 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 fear of female power. But the thing that I'm really interested in is the way that witch has been reclaimed over the years by a lot of groups of women. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Um. And it's the yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. No. We we um we've had a witch on the podcast, Alice Tarbuck, who wrote a, a brilliant book. Um. Uh, about uh, it's a year in her life and she goes through the seasons and talking about um, talking about the witchcraft, witchcraft all the way through it but um, takes each month and does different spells according to to stuff and I think I think it's brilliant. I mean, you only have to go on Instagram or TikTok. So he's like, "Please don't go on TikTok, clear? They're just far too old for it." And it's because I've got three
1: teenagers, so I'm just I'd see it in a very different way. I, you know, my teenagers are now at the stage where they just pour scorn on TikTok. So even they think it's really uncool. So
2: probably a woman of my age. I mean, I, there's no. I oh,
0: clear. I, I think you should. There's there
2: is a variety of ages on TikTok. Well, I I but I've I looked at it. It wasn't purely for research purposes, but I looked at it, and um, there are so many people who are modern day witches. And in fact, there have been so many people that are supportive of of the campaign by saying, "We know they weren't witches. We know we are modern day witches. We're a different thing." Um, and there's, there's there's this whole beef that people have got with uh, the Wicca and um, people people. Um, I think it was in ninety was it the 1930s, Zoe, did some did Margaret someone other? we we'll go you can yeah. tell her detail I know about it there was a book wasn't there that came out that
1: was that was supposedly like a kind of a, a supposed to be a historical document about what witches were actually like but then it was debunked you know that actually had all been made up and it was just sort of like forerunners to hippies that wanted to do this thing and again it was about quite a lot of it was about free love which they wouldn't have called it at that point but that's you know there are some people that still cling on to those ideas and have this connection that they think that the witches of the witch trials were like that but they weren't like that but it's this kind of slight romanticization I mean like you know go for it I think you know whatever you want to believe in absolutely if you're not hurting anybody then I think that's totally cool and I think it's great that there are there are people across the world that are saying you know this was wrong and we're reclaiming the word and you know we're we're doing our own spirituality and so on I think that's really brilliant and certainly we've had a lot of support probably quite obviously and naturally from that that group of people you know they're because they don't want the, the negative connotations of it they want you know quite rightly want it to be just seen for what it is
2: I I found out didn't I, when we're talking to Alice I, I, I was thinking I am the furthest thing away from a, a which imagine I'm a skeptic I'm a realist I do have one problem which is that because I'm upbringing I'm hugely superstitious which doesn't fit in with any of that at all so like I'm like oh going under that, uh, going under that ladder, that's absolutely ridiculous, I don't believe in anything like that, well go under it then, no no, I'd just rather go around it in fact, even though I know, you know, it's, it's something, there's something superstitious in me that, <laughs> that makes that happen, but we were talking to Alice and Alice was saying, well a lot of people do things like rituals that, I'm, that I call my practice witchcraft, and a lot of people do things that I describe as witchcraft, but they might not anyway she was talking about it and she said I mean lots of people have altars in their house and I was thinking I don't have an altar in my house who I don't know anyone's got an altar in my house after about five minutes of speaking I realized that what she was talking about I have right in the center of my living room which is three wee statues um health wealth and prosperity three uh, statues from the far east that I've had since I was really young and bizarrely and she was just talking about wee rituals people do, but they don't really know the reasons for them. And bizarrely, anytime I find a penny or a 20p, 5p, p, any, I t- take it on the ground, bring that into the house and I put it in a wee pile on top of them. And there's the wee statues in a wee pile. I've got no idea why I do it. And she was like, well, that's some kind of ritual. I was like, oh, I've got an altar. Who knew? So <laughs> I started this all off thinking, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a witch, but it, apparently I, I have some witchy rituals. Put I think
1: there. that's just an aspect to being a human though. Like I think that, you know, most most people or many people have got like groups of photographs of family or friends. And I think they're altars, you know, to an extent. You know, I'm sure like a religious um researcher would probably tell me to show but I think I think they're altars, you know, they're little groupings of things that show up your identity. You know, I I think that that's why this the issue of of the witches and, and the witch trials like really rings a bell with so many women in particular is because it's about identity and it's about, you know, who am I and identifying. Once you start learning about the stories, it's quite easy actually to identify with the women's stories that you hear, you know, because often I feel myself identifying each each episode we pick three stories. Of witches where we talk about their names and whatever details we have about them like you know were they single or married or widowed and you know their ages or whatever we can find and a lot of the time it's very scant detail so like even to the extent Claire found one um one bit of research that was about witch trials and it just said sundry witches so it didn't even say even how many witches there were never mind their names or any details and then other ones you get a lot more detail but for a lot of them it's like you know I don't know say something like John at McKenzie John it was a really popular name so John at McKenzie um widowed and it has the date of when she was accused and the date of when she was executed you know and that like there might only be that amount of information but I think you, you start to look at you just think you know that could just be that could be me or it could be like my mum's a widow. So it could have been my mum, which actually, yeah, she is quite witchy. So that, would...
2: I think, it's <laughs> okay. Sometimes. But, you know, it, it could just be
1: any of these women that we know, you know, really easily, you know. And I think that once you start thinking like that, it's really easy to connect with it and think that was wrong. That was just totally wrong.
4: Yeah. Golly. Cool <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about the ways, the ways in which, like, which can mean whatever it needs to mean to the woman who attaches themselves to the word or or like feels feels a connection to the word because yeah i'm, I'm much the same as you claire I'm, I'm i'm a skeptic a bit of a scientist but i think science is a form of magic because it's it's you know it's developing practice and and, and evolving and, and and adapting as you get answers to things which is what early healers did and i think what's really interesting about like in um barbara Heinrich and Deirdre English's book uh, which is midwives and nurses they talk about um, the history of like the medical history and medical science and how it developed and how women were integral to that practice Mm. but you know you see with regularity through the 15th century and onwards when witch trials were going on that doctors would be a part of witchcraft cases to discredit the women and their medical knowledge because they'd be viewed as competitive or because women were viewed as low status and beneath men, they couldn't have competing medical knowledge or better medical knowledge than men. So therefore, they must have been witches. But in tandem with that, women were all, because they were seen as lesser, their biology and their feminine um, uh, medical needs were also seen as not important. So it was the women that had the, had the knowledge and the understanding through midwifery, through being nurses, through taking care of each other, through oral history, that had the you know, the actual healing hands, as it were, um, but that was deemed as witchcraft because you couldn't possibly know more than the men. And that there's echoes of there's echoes of that even today in 2021 in women's healthcare and how it's not taken seriously or there's not enough knowledge about something. So that's what really kind of like fascinates, but also kind of astonishes me about the power of all of this because it's still technically happening in a ripple effect
2: today. Um, I absolutely, couldn't I couldn't agree more. We were we were absolutely delighted when we were contacted by a doctor of nursing, Doctor Nicola Ring, and um, she spoke to me about the history of women as uh, witches uh, who were midwives and who were healers. And in fact, um, she put forward an application which was granted really recently, and the Royal College of Nursing has funded a uh, uh, um, investigation uh, on. Um, on the people in Scotland who they can identify from the paperwork who are identified as midwives or healers that's what was getting them into trouble so they have got those 50 people and they're going to tell the story of those people but for midwives for example it was in order to be convicted under the witchcraft act you didn't you needed to either be a witch and doing uh, things which were witchcraft or you needed to seek the advice of somebody that was doing witchcraft and carrying out those acts. So women who, if you, if in childbirth you sought um, help from a woman to ease the pain of childbirth, I know of at least one case where the woman who was accused of witchcraft and the woman who was killed as, uh, the woman who was accused of witchcraft was a, a midwife and the woman who received the medication, both of them were accused of witchcraft, and the allegation was due to the fact that that God was giving you that pain during childbirth, and who were you to take it away? So your act was the act was witchcraft of you trying to take that away. Misha has just lost her mind. She's just
3: fucking men. <laughs> you squeeze a baby out your vagina for fuck's
2: sake. That's not. <laughs> God given pain, if we can help it get rid of the pain. Oh, I know you've got to wonder whether or not the situation would have been very, very different if it was men who gave birth. Oh, you, you can make it different. I just imagine that there would be some very, very convoluted story about how God definitely wanted you to make sure that by using your intelligence you brought about things uh, to stop that pain. But interestingly enough, and this, I mean, it just. We could go in a thousand different directions of this, but we're, we're talking to, I was talking a different aspect of my job to somebody who's involved in researching the history of drugs, and um, they said that Scotland had lost out on part of its history as to how we interacted with early drugs, and by drugs I mean covering all uh, herbal uh, um, uh, things, that and she said that um, in countries where they had allegations of witchcraft, we lost a lot of information about drugs use um, and how people would try and medicate what went on or use it for psychedelic reasons or whatever, and in countries where we have allegations of witchcraft, basically all of that either stopped or went very quiet. And the stories about what were being used by women passed down from the generations as to how to help and heal were lost. Um, but she says in, 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 in uh, places where there weren't witchcraft trials, they have a much better undisturbed history. So it's really, really interesting that even in terms of looking at it from uh, an academic way there's 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 histories we've lost not only of the women but but of understanding the way that they looked at the world and what they used to to treat things um, that we just don't have a good enough memory of now because who would be wanting to be caught passing that on in the two hundred years that women were being called witches you know so a great deal of information was lost.
0: There's something I was thinking about when you were um we're talking about the reclaiming of the words and everything and. I could be off on a total tangent on this, but that idea for me about when women talk about a witchcraft and in particular when women talk about it and the kind of sisterhood that it gives in the coven, quote unquote, um, there's something for me about it's all instinctual and it is like it's passed down through the generations and it feels like because of the patriarchy, those instincts are cut off or they try to cut off our instincts. So we've kind of shunned away from that. So this kind of reclaiming of the word is almost women trying to find their way back to their their true power of being at the core of who they are. Don't know, it just came into my head and I thought I'd share. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, it, it could be, it could be. I mean, there's, there is definitely a noticeable rise in people identifying themselves as witches. And there, there must be a reason for that. I mean, there there are lots of factors, of course, to take into consideration. Social media lets people meet up much more easily than they were able to do before. But I think it's probably something... It's, there is probably something more in it um, and that might be it I just I, I, I don't I, I don't know but I I know for a fact that there are certainly a lot more people self-identifying as witches and a lot and and it, the other thing is that there are a lot more people trying to now look at the history not of Scotland but of their countries and address what happened to women as witches. So those two things seem to be happening at the same time. Yesterday we met an amazing professor um, who was um, one of the uh, people who was involved in getting the beautiful Norway Memorial to the 91 um, women killed as witches there, that was so beautiful. We've been in contact with um, a German uh, um, expert, Zoe you, you You've been chatting
1: about him. Yeah, you're saying that to me because you can't remember his name. No, I can. I can Going <laughs> <laughs> under the Very bus good. sisterhood right. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. There you go. No, <laughs> she knows how crap I am with names like that. And I once I get somebody's name wrongly in my mind, I can't then revert to their actual. It would name. just be easier yeah. to them, change their name. That would be yeah. easier. They'll just call gym or something it'd be much easier that's terrible i'm, I'm just joking about that no, you're the but one who
2: hired german
1: yeah i am and yet and yet my german is scheiß. but he um <laughs> he he's going he's going about he's a very serious and um and focused man he's an ex-pastor or an ex-minister um and he goes travels around germany and basically says to people in communities you had these witch trials, this is, you know, this is something that you need to address in your community. And it's basically the kind of like sort of county councils where he's saying, you need to do something about this. And it's had tons of success across Germany where they've done memorials
2: or I think, have they issued apologies in, in some of those regions too? Yeah, locally, it's it's like we council areas all, all yeah. over Germany. So yeah, a, a number of them have done like memorials and they've issued apologies. Um, some of them really, really touching, Um, But the Germans have got quite a different attitude for probably
1: really obvious reasons about apology and making peace with the past. Um, They do seem to have a more sensible approach to it in some ways. And I think that probably when there's been like a massive, like sort of psychic wound, basically, in a country when something terrible has happened, it is really important. That it's it's quite quite wise what journalists look these tests. They weren't the victor in the Second World War. Um, and I think that it's it's maybe it's maybe a sort of a question of power as well. You know, like we we did terrible things during the First and Second World War as a nation, but because we won the war, there's less of a sort of a thing on you to to recognize what went wrong. I'm really inter- interested in that. I'm really interested in the idea of how it frees you, you know personally and sort of nationally a bad thing I did a bad thing or my country did a bad thing I think that I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to like let go of bad things from the past I don't really understand it and I think that there's a confusion about that you're letting your power go that an apology means that you've lost your power. And I'm, I'm talking about this probably particularly because I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a secondary teacher. So, and I work in support for learning and I work a lot with young people that have got traumatic backgrounds that break the rules all the time and that you know have real difficulty with power structure. I really hate power structures, really hate them and have a problem with it. And I'm quite was naughty myself when I was at school. So I really identify with those kids. And actually, I think there's so much power. And if you get something wrong as a teacher saying to young people, oh, I fucked that up. You know, I'm sorry. You know, like I'm human and I made a mistake. And you can see kids going, what? I'm sorry. This is that's not how that works. Teachers never say they've done anything wrong, you know, and I think that's something that we're maybe moving towards more and I think that that's just something that would just be so good for us nationally and just as humans generally if we were more able to go you know people fall out and bad things happen and we make wrong decisions and our politicians do stupid things that we don't agree with so let's just recognize when that happens and not do it again you know <laughs> if we can just manage to do that so yeah I don't know why anybody would have an issue with with Wanting to apologise and pardon the witches and mark what happened. I don't understand why anybody wouldn't just say yes to that.
3: How is it? How has it been received? Like how? How have you been doing with your pet- petitioning and and pushing it?
2: Brilliant. Um, we we have got. I think at last count there's about two thousand one hundred signatures um, on the petition, which is. Uh, yeah, I think that's the last old, time I looked at it. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is good. Um, our reach has been amazing, I mean, the, the it sort of funnels down to how many people sign the petition is actually a relatively small number compared to how many people we've actually spoken to about this, which must be hundreds of thousands. We've, um, we've had the opportunity to speak on so many TV, well, not TV shows, radio shows. Um, we've spoken worldwide to, um, one of our interviews went in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and after it went on, we were contacted by loads more people all over the world. So the, they get telling the story of what we're trying to do has gone really, really far. Um, and we don't need, in fact, we don't need any signatures on the petition. You can put in your petition not having any signatures. You can opt just to put it right before Parliament. But I thought it was better that people have the opportunity to join the campaign. And to to put their their name to it, you know, again, because you know, I, I could have been completely wrong. I mean, it could have been just me. I could have gone down there to Parliament, everyone was like, no, we don't agree with you, please go away. So I wanted to see whether or not there was. And if you go into the petition and look at the comments, they're just overwhelming. There's about 150, 160 comments. Oh, no, there's they're more
1: just, now. There's more. There? I've just I've just got it up on my screen. There's 217 comments. And there's actually now, it's because it's jumped a lot, I think, today, Claire. Um, It's now 2,196 signatures. Now, I'd quite like, as a totally arbitrary figure, I'd quite like we've got about a week left, a week and a bit left, to get up to at least 2,500 because that's how many people were executed. I think that would be quite gratifying to have around that. And I think that's totally doable. You know, I think that it's something that, you know, it it doesn't cost you anything just to say, yeah, that's the right thing.
2: Yeah, we get loads of people were in contact with us yesterday because it's like International Women's Day, and we're tweeting and we're supporting women and we're doing this. And I was like, see if you want to do something practical, sign this petition. That yeah. supports women. Yeah. It supports it supports the history of women in Scotland, so that we can know our history and so that we can move on from our history and we can recognise our history. But you know, so um, yeah, I think it resonated with a lot of people yesterday. It's just a shame that every day is an International Women's Day.
0: Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and you started, did you start the podcast
2: on International Women's Day last year? No, we started the podcast, um, uh, we started the podcast a bit after. Um, we, we, we started the podcast on International Women's Day um, because, of, of course, it affected mostly women. And um, we started it in a brewery because the story of women um, brewers has a connection with witches I don't know if you guys I've just
0: seen this article that's kind of been getting shared like the last couple of days I was in my head I was like I'm going to share it and then I went why am I sharing it because Louise has definitely read it Zoe will have read it
2: Claire's read it Misha <laughs> hasn't so I'm going to share it with Misha <laughs> <laughs> well we, we we I mean we would really like I and mean, that's someone that we should really look to try and speak to an early historian um uh, about this uh, a medieval historian but essentially um, the story goes and I'm like getting this like third hand from articles this is like the worst wikipedia chat so I, I caveat whatever I'm going to say with um, the fact that I don't know this and I haven't heard it from an expert but um, it's, a, it's an interesting story which is that women in medieval times were in charge of basically water filtration so that everyone didn't die and they had to try and purify the water as best they could and the easiest way to purify the water or the way that they found obviously most effective was effectively to brew weak beer so instead of people drinking water, they'd be drinking weak beer. And as the world industrialised and people started moving out into um, men working in the fields and stuff like that, rather than each person in their own house brewing their weak beer, someone would take over the role, perhaps uh, people that needed extra money because they were by themselves, like Uh, older women that were widowed widowed or or, or something of the likes, as as the article goes, they would be the person who would brew for the the local community. So they would have a big pot, like a cauldron, they would brew, they would have um, cats to keep uh, the rats from the stores to make the the stuff for the weak beer. Um, The people of that time, the women would wear pointy hats just as a matter of fashion that was the pointy hatted way of doing things and if it, was, it into, was so they could be seen so yeah. they could be seen in the market too wasn't it so that you could you could work out
1: where they were when you were at the market to go and get the beer it was a kind of a form of advertising uh
2: uh-huh. which so, is so, genius yeah 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 as well it's definitely stuck you can see that for nothing I mean <laughs> I mean talk about branding <laughs> <laughs> it definitely worked and uh, so that's where our idea of a modern witch comes, apparently Julian Goodyear says, from the 19th century cartoonists who wanted to make cartoons showing that people people's political opponents were thinking things that were stupid and you would mock someone by thinking they were stupid by making them associated with the witchcraft, because of course, ha ha ha, it was so stupid we believed in witchcraft and killed all those women, that they drew people like witches and took these sorts of ideas. So the people that were killed as witches in Scotland, none of them were involved in the pointy hat, brewing, cauldron, oh, uh, some people did have cats, um, but but the, the, the modern That's image for yeah, the modern image of a witch comes from a very, very different time, and is linked back to that time where um, women were brewers. And there's a whole there's a whole other story about when men realised that women were getting too powerful because controlling the beer, let's face it, controls the world. So, <laughs> so um, apparently when guilds started forming, the first guild, brewing guild, made it clear that women could not be brewers set up a guild and said well we'll take you've been doing it for hundreds of years just keeping everyone alive but we've realized that there's money to be made in this so we'll take it from here and apparently the church was quite happy to let that happen because also the women being business uh, business people also didn't hold with its ideas about what what women should be so you basically know, looking after their
1: children as well you know they, mm. they wanted them at home looking after their kids not making a living you know so it was that mm-hmm. idea of being reinforced of you know you needed to be in the house and have less power in the community and just look after your own kids in your house and your husband. you
0: belong to them
1: uh-huh
0: yeah dare you, you attempt to have any form of independence uh-huh. fucking men uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we're not man
3: hating but we hate.
0: <laughs> oh no we know it's not all of them i'm really aware of time and oh my goodness could keep talking to both of you for um for so long um what's been the most interesting thing that you've found out in your research or the people that you've met I think is I would like to know that is such a big
2: question I mean if it's too big that's okay no um so so I suppose one shocking figure so there's some shocking thing that I found because I'd read a lot about witch trials and read a lot about what had happened so um The most shocking thing that I found was that in Scotland, during the period, the 16th to 18th century, we accused and executed five times as many people as anywhere else in Europe. So so we were the absolute leaders in finding people and killing them as witches. And um, I was listening to a Salem podcast um, where Uh, it was a Salem tour guides were saying that people had come over from Scotland and saying ma we're so interested in your witch trials and we're interested and she said do you not know your own history we had 19 people here um, uh, who were convicted of witchcraft 19 people 15 women and four men you had thousands and I suppose that is the, the most shocking thing for me was Not only did I find out how many were involved, but the fact that Scotland was far and away better at finding and executing witches than anywhere else. So that's the big fact for me. What about you, Zoe? I
1: I think probably quite similarly was the numbers. I mean, I just I just didn't have any concept at all. And in fact, every detail that we learn about it is is quite mind-bending to me to be honest because as I said at the beginning of the podcast I didn't know anything about it at all I knew that there were witch trials in Scotland like that's literally the extent of my knowledge about it like many people in Scotland I studied the crucible at school you know And I knew that the crucible was really about McCarthyism. I mean, I'd been taught that. So I didn't even really think about that really as being particularly accurate or anything. But I did have a kind of an idea that probably as many people that were killed in America was the sort of the same amount as here, that it it was a terrible thing, but there wasn't that many. But then to find out that actually it was at the very least two and a half thousand people has been really like bewildering to me I mean it's just so many people like I I think in terms of size of schools so the school that I work in just now has got like about 900 people in it when they're all in out right, with pandemics so when they're all in and all the staff are in, it's probably about 900 something like that so to think that it's like two and a half times more than than if we had all the kids together is just totally staggering to me so that I think probably just the actual the bold fact of the numbers is actually the biggest thing for me as well
4: yeah, I was just thinking when you're saying that um, all this research that I've been doing over the last few years is going into a piece of theatre um, oh, wow. that's being developed at the moment um, and we did, my director and I Shilpa, Shilpa Highland um, we did a development with uh, the Life Art, Life Art Centre up in Wick just an early scratch performance of what I'd written so far and at the end of that piece of uh, like after the presentation we, we lit a candle and we read out all the names of people that we could find who'd been executed just in that area and it was just this really heavy duty like three minutes of names it was just like Mm
2: -hmm.
4: name after name after name and it was that was just that area and it was very heavy and people you know a couple people got quite upset understandably and it was just I think it was just the weight of that like a name after name after name after name Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it can't be uh, understated um Overstated, understated, just the, the sheer, sheer scale of it in Scotland alone,
1: I think. Yeah, And these people, each one of these people had a family, had friends and was from a community. And, you know, as Claire said that if there was round about 100 people involved in the sort of the legal you know, the sort of the administrative side of dealing with each, each of these witches that were, that were accused and, and executed is how did, like everybody was touched by it. There can't have been anywhere that wasn't touched by it. Even if you weren't directly accused yourself, you would have a fear that you would be or your, your sister or your mom or your pal or whatever would be. Like I think that that is, that's enormous when you start thinking like that, the, like the main thing that I think of that's a parallel to it is what it must have been like to an extent during the Holocaust, you know, to, to have this absolute fear that there was something about you that the people in power didn't want to exist, you know. And the difference, obviously, between the Holocaust and what happened with the witches is that the the witches, it was, it, there wasn't a reason. There wasn't a, any reason. It, could, it was just random for a lot of the time. So I think that that's just really bewildering and frightening, that that was in such recent history. So that's why I think it's so important that we sort this out.
2: Yeah, Louise. Here, here. Do we get Do we get, uh, do we get to uh, find out when your play's being put on so we can come and see it?
4: <laughs> yes, I I would love that. I would love to have that information. <laughs> so the way
1: it... <laughs> I love the writers' laugh there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so it was supposed to go into the
4: proper development, like it's sort of next big stage of development. You know, that sort of final hurdle towards being a finished thing in May of last year with the Lockery Festival Theatre but Covid put the kibosh on that so it's just kind of sitting in stasis at the moment um you know with me sitting there hating it and deleting things and rewriting things because I've been left alone with it too long she's not really a writer alone in a draft for too long so one day hopefully it will get back up on its feet it will But yeah hopefully the point of it is um the whole the whole point of it is to be set at a witch's sabbath so it needs to feel quite immersive and raucous and and fun uh, initially when the audience come in like they're attending a party basically this right. covenant which is inviting the audience into their sabbath um so yeah it's not it's not something I want to do digitally or try and rework to do digitally I want to be able to do it in a room with people where we can be up in each other's faces again so hopefully one day I'll have a date that I could share with you that that will happen but
2: unfortunately it won't be anytime soon I don't think but well, fingers no. crossed. Do let us know, do let us know because we'll be there, won't we, Zoe? But well, absolutely, not that, not on just our guests. Us. Oh, on our guests. We Somebody said guests. once, too, as we were up, we were going to be on their guest list, and that was us, that was us all the superstars, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it, Zoe? So exciting! I know we did the next podcast with dark sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> You've
0: had loads, though, like Lenny Penny wrote. Um...
2: In memoriam. In yeah, memoriam. yeah, yeah. We saw, we saw that she she'd been on you. You guys have spoken to her. Yeah, I, I um, we just thought it would be brilliant to commission something to kick off the um the signing of the petition. And um, oh my goodness, she didn't disappoint. What an atmospheric, touching, chilling, um, rousing piece of poetry it was. You know, saying we won't forget about you. We'll, we will remember you. and That's what it's all yeah. about oh goosebumps (gasps) it really is
0: it really is all about that is there something else that you'd said earlier about just you know looking for that apology and the memorial and everything and i'm a bit like well we got it for the highland clearances there's a memorial in helmsdale and so what because that affected mainly the men having to give up their jobs and move they got that why yeah. Just putting that out there for everybody listen. <laughs> you know, just saying.
1: <laughs> We're just really hoping that it'll go, it'll go to the Scottish Parliament, and it'll be after the elections, obviously, and it'll, yeah. it'll go to the right committees, and they'll just go, yeah, obviously, it's a no-brainer. Here, we'll do it. You know, I'm, I'm just hoping that they'll just very sensibly just go, yeah, of course. Because you know a-
2: yeah, so many people have. That's the thing. When we've yeah. spoken about it, so many people, politicians. Have gone, yeah, something should be done. You know? Mm-hmm. Sorry Zoe. I interrupted. No,
1: there's just there's no good reason not to do it really. And there's there's precedent to so there was people that were um, that were pardoned for um for being homosexual for having been um, charged with with the crime of that so that's happened in the past and then there's also more recently been um apologies made to was it apologies or pardons claire to minors um,
2: pardons um there's going to be pardons to the people who were convicted um who committed um well, who committed or who were convicted of committing offences, whether or not they actually were properly committing offences, again, is is dubious um, in terms of their protesting about the the minors' strike. So they are going to be granted a collective and posthumous pardon, meaning everybody and including anyone that's dead. And the wording of both for homosexual men and for minors makes it clear that what they're saying is that this should never have happened. And it should never have happened and it was wrong and we want to put a line in the sand to say we accept that and acknowledge that and it's also important to do that regardless of whether or not those people are still alive Mm -hmm. and so we're like nodding our heads going yes we agree ticking the boxes absolutely we agree with that and it's like and now it's time for the women and men who were convicted of witchcraft to get the exact same thing
0: yeah
4: yeah absolutely and any hesitancy around that you'd have to go well but let's interrogate why you're hesitant because how is it different yeah and if you can't yeah. articulate to me why then there's something problematic there that
2: <laughs> really needs to be addressed absolutely
1: yeah. it just or- makes me think it makes me think of those um those like joke flow charts that you see going about sort of the memes of them you know like do you, would you would you be for the apology and pardon of the witches yes no you know if no are you an arsehole yes <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah okay
1: yeah i feel i can say that here i wouldn't say that probably in any other podcasts oh I yeah you, meant,
0: you can definitely say that here and um, we usually finish by asking and um, people what the phrase persistent and nasty means to you so we've talked about reclaiming words and basically um we named ourselves persistent and nasty Um, with the Elizabeth Warren quote, nevertheless she persisted and the reclaiming of the word nasty because Mr Trump likes to use that when discussing females. So Claire Mitchell, QC, um, what does persistent and nasty mean
2: to you? Persistent and nasty, persistent means never giving up, always holding on to whatever the truth of what you want to pursue is and going for it, never being distracted by what other people think just knowing where you are and where you're going and nasty is a badge of honour if Mr Trump decides to describe people as nasty those are the sorts of people that I want to go and sit beside in any good night out.
0: Hey
1: <laughs> Zoe Benditotsi <laughs> what does persistent nasty mean to you? I would agree with what Claire said. I I just think persistent and nasty to me means like somebody that's just going to be chippy and is going to keep going. And if it's something that's important to you, just keep going, even if it pisses people off or it makes them feel uncomfortable. If it's the right thing, and I feel quite strongly about that, is identifying things that you think it's right to fight for. I think it'd be terrible to be the kind of person that didn't have stuff that they believed in and wasn't prepared to get into a fight about it. Not necessarily a physical fight, but... You're not advocating a physical fight, so I mean I'm not, but I can handle myself. I'm just <laughs> <joking>. <laughs> uh,
3: what an amazing hour and so talking to you guys. This has been absolutely fantastic. What a privilege. And thank you on behalf of all women in Scotland, on behalf of the women who went through those trials. Thank you for
2: the work you're doing now to advocate. And the men. Them. And the men. And the men too. Not at all. And thank you for having, not only thank you for having us on, thank you for listening to us, Misha. I do hope you're going to get some therapy or get, be in recovery. will <laughs> stop <laughs> crying at some point. <laughs> um, but thank you. And thank you for having us on and supporting the campaign. It's, you know, it, it's nothing unless other people agree as well. So we're so delighted to have uh, the three of you being on board with it. Yes. Women in
3: power. Uh, thanks for having us. Welcome. Love it. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Zoe. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay Stay nasty.